In the last few weeks, we've been really excited to share with you about what Paul wrote to the church in Rome about 58 AD. The simple fact is, the revolutionary, radical feature of Christianity found particularly in Paul's first six chapters here is the grace of God. The gospel, the story of God is about, is that your righteousness, your justification for existence is something given to you by God, not something you have to get some other way. That's what we mean when we say the gospel is good news, not good advice. It's not something you do, it's something you believe, it's not something you achieve, it's something you receive. Salvation is not something you earn, it's something you learn. I'm running out of rhymes, but you know what I mean, right? I love that old story of a guy when he's asked, you know, when did you get saved? What date did you get saved? And I love the guy's brilliant answer to the question. He says, well, I don't know the exact date, but it was about 2,000 years ago. See, he understood that we are saved because of who God is and what God did, not because of anything we've done, any prayer we've prayed or anything, any tithe we've paid or any good deed that we've done. It's something God did for us, not something we do for God. So now having gone through every rhyme and every cliche, I hope you got it figured out, right? Because it raises an interesting point, which we find at the beginning of our reading this week, Romans 6 verse 1. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so that God could keep on forgiving? See, the logical conclusion is that if God's grace is yours, no matter what you've done, then it never matters what you've done and you can do whatever you like. God's grace will always cover it. And the logic of this terrifies a lot of pastors and preachers over the centuries. They say, hey, 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 you can't say that. What if people take what you say and, and, and go on sinning all the time? What if they take it as a, a license to sin? I mean, have you heard that phrase before, a license to sin? It's the dumbest phrase I think I've ever heard. I mean, who needs a license to sin? People have been doing it without a license for a long time. God is love. Unfailing, unflagging, unending love, no matter what you do. But just because we can doesn't mean we will or that we should. Rebecca and I were out hiking the other week and we started at the top of a waterfall. At the top there's, there's this great lookout platform with a railing and everything so you can lean out and have a look right over the edge. It's all safe, no cause for concern. But then you go for the hike and about 100 meters up the path you get to cross over the rocky stream that leads out to the waterfall. Me being me, I turned off the track and walked down the stream from rock to rock because there's not a lot of water in it until I could get right up to the edge. At which point Rebecca got a little bit upset with me. She says, come back, come back, you'll fall. And what she doesn't realize is that I, I understand the danger I understand the consequences. I, I recognize that the rocks are wet and slippery. I recognize that it's a sheer 100 meter fall. I understand. So I knew to keep back. And Paul says, yeah, yes, you, you could keep on sinning and God would keep on forgiving. But if you realized the danger, if you understood the risk and if you knew the consequences, you wouldn't. So, Paul, in, in case they've forgotten, Paul explains the danger, the risks, and the consequences. He summarizes it perhaps best for us uh, with a metaphor in Romans 6, verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, or, or rendered uh, powerless, is probably a better translation. That 
We should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, that's an understatement, isn't it? But see, you have to realize that if you're not saved, you're enslaved. You have to realize that if you believe in Christ, you are free. And you have to realize that if you live God's way, you can stay safe or free. Let me unpack each of those three phrases. If you're not saved, you're enslaved. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at this text from Romans 3, uh, 3, 21 through to 23. But now, apart from the law, righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testified. This righteousness is given through the faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And we talked about the fact that deep down, whether you're religious or not, everyone is looking for righteousness. You see, everyone is slavishly seeking to justify their own existence. Slavishly. You know, we are slaves to this striving for justification because deep down, there is something in every human heart that says, we're not good enough. We have to justify our own existence. We are slaves to our own sense of unworthiness or unrighteousness. It, is, it has this authority and command over our lives. It's like we are gently falling over a cliff out of control. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. People devote themselves to all sorts of things in life. To fill that hole, that, that sense of unworthiness and unrighteousness. For some people, it's, it's career, achievement, or family. For some, it's, it's power or influence or human approval. For some people, it's a political cause or a moral crusade that they give themselves over to. For some people, it's, it's, it's simply money. The more money they have, the better they feel about themselves. The more justified they feel in being alive. The more, I don't know, for some people, it's, it's romance and relationships, and they give themselves over to romance and relationships. For some, it's, it's physical attractiveness or, or fitness. That's where they get their sense of self-worth or value. For other people, it's a need to have a lot of stuff and the latest gadgets and the, the latest Air Jordans. For some, it's the number of likes or views simply they get on social media posts. And for some, it's religion. I know, I know, it sounds weird, right? But some people, they become Christians and suddenly the way they value themselves is by being the bestest possible Christian there ever was. Now, don't get me wrong. In and of themselves, these things are fine. Likes on Facebook, relationships, fitness, money, political, moral causes are useful. Dependence, career achievements, they're all just fine and necessary in many ways. Unless they become that on what you rely on to give you that sense of self-worth and justification. Because if they become the way you justify yourself, then those desires, those things become the ruling factor of your life. And a lot of your life's choices and decisions will be made to ensure that you continue to get that sense of justification from those things. People neglect family and friends, I've seen it, to work more. People steal to have the latest things. People take harmful drugs to be able to work out more. People sacrifice their dignity and self-respect in order to get more relationships. People cheat in all sorts of ways to get more money. There are a number of psychologists and sociologists who believe that this drive, this, this, this desire for a sense of self-worth is so much the root cause of all human negative emotion and behavior. 
They think it is the fundamental way in which we are fallen. It is nice to see modern science catch up with the writings of Paul. It's that life of slavery that Paul talks about. The desires, the human drive just rules our lives. So do we keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? Forgiving? We could, but that way leads to slavery. So we have to realize that if we're not saved, we're enslaved. But then you've also got to realize that if you believe in Christ, you, your, your enslaved self has been killed, rendered powerless. You are free. Let's take a step back to verse 5 in Romans 6. For if we've been united with him in death like his, then ultimately we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. It's a bit weird, isn't it, to, to be united with Jesus in crucifixion? This word united is a, is a horticultural term. It means to be grafted into the root. So our life is included at the source of what Jesus did. We are included, I am included, you are included. But what does that mean? Like that happened 2,000 years ago. It means simply this. You're a part of it. You're a part of it because God had you in mind when he died for you on that cross. He had you in mind because he loved you, cared for you, and wanted you to know that you don't need to justify your existence to him or anyone else because you are worthy, loved, acceptable, just for being the way he created you. When you realize that, when you realize that you're a part of it, that you're included in that, that you're grafted into that, then that broken human part of you that is enslaved by the need to justify yourself, to seek your own self-justification and righteousness, that part of you is dead. It's powerless because you're already completely and perfectly justified by the death of Christ on the cross. I mean, what are you going to do that compares with that? This is what Paul means when he says... That he is crucified with Christ. You are crucified with Christ. You have been freed from the slavish desperation that seeks to justify your own existence. So, do we keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? You could, but you wouldn't want to, and you don't need to. But Paul doesn't end there. You have to realize that if you live God's way, you can stay safe. When I was walking out onto the top of that waterfall, I was well aware of all the dangers and I was well aware, I was fairly experienced in hiking and walking and I'm fairly experienced at getting too close to the edge of waterfalls as well. And so it was my natural in inclination to stay back from the edge. It was to avoid the slippery wet rocks. My natural inclination made me, in fact, in fact, it made me behave as though there was a barrier there, even though there wasn't. So my own heart and mind kept me from the edge because I understood the dangers. For me, this is what it means to be a slave to righteousness, like Paul writes in, in, in Romans 6.18. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. See, what Jesus did for you, what Jesus did for me, showed me the whole situation. See, I didn't know how enslaved I was until I was saved. I didn't know the risk that I was running until I was redeemed. I didn't know the freedom until I was freed. But now that I know, I'm much more careful, I'm much more wary, I'm much more likely to ask God if the rocks are slippery or if I could get a bit closer or if I'm much more 
you know, and I'm much more likely to listen to God when he says, no, 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 don't go there. There's, there's too much danger. Come back. I pray this morning that you each know what it is to be enslaved by sin. And that each of you know what it means to be included in Christ's mind when he was crucified. That you know God's saving justification. And then I pray that you know and allow God to be the ruling factor in your life. God bless you each.